0: Praise God, there is a God. I'm just going to begin this morning by reading Isaiah 60, 1-6. It says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light. Praise God. And kings, to the brightness of thy rising, lift up thine eyes round about, and see all they gather themselves together. They come to thee. Thy son shall come from far, and thy daughter shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged. Because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. The multitude of camels shall cover thee. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, all they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall bring forth the praises of the Lord. What a blessing. What a, what a promise. What a, what a future that is prophesied there. And then it says it this way in Second Corinthians 4, verse 6, For God, who commanded His light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure, this light in earthen vessels. Maybe the Lord designed those earthen vessels on purpose the way he did, because earthen vessels, I believe, have cracks. And I know this earthen vessel has lots of cracks. But it's out of those cracks even that God can shine forth his glory. That the excellency of the power may be recognized, that we may recognize that the excellency of the power is not of us, is not of this earthen vessel, but it's of God. And I thank the Lord every time for his power and his strength. Yesterday, Ed said as he came up that that he's going to add a few PSI to the messages that we've already heard. Well, I know as I stand among this group of men, I'm a little bit more like John the Baptist. I'm not worthy to stoop down and loosen your shoes. And yet... I believe that each one of us has a part and a responsibility if we're going to work together building the church of God. We need those powerful ministers, those ones that can just tear apart the word and do those word studies and get into the depth of it. We need those. God's blessed me with a ministry team that's able to do that. And. And I think even here, yeah, as we think of the, the Midwest Fellowship, we have those men among us, that, that those are powerful intellects that can do that. And then we need that. And, and yet I know that that's not where God's blessing has been to me. But as we've heard already the past couple of days, do we, can I, embrace God's calling on our life. And I think we I think we have to get to that point or we will we will fail as as ministers or as God's agents. And as as Roger shared already, we have the most glorious message, the most glorious treasure known to mankind that we can share about. Praise God. The as I as, a, as Ray had called and wondered if I would share this message, he had said he wants this to be a positive message. He, doesn't, he said, we're going to have a lot of negatives. We're going to have a lot of correction. We're going to have a lot of instruction prior and maybe even after. But, he, but he's saying, I want this message to be positive. And so I want to honor that as we look at God's Word, holding forth the Word of life. Merle talked about, um, I think maybe his last evening, somewhere along the line, uh, yeah, his last evening. He said, if we want to become lukewarm, all we have to do is nothing. And sometimes I talk with the guys there at the jail, we talk about what our default setting is. How that if we're just not proactive in, in following God and seeking God's will, if we're not proactive in, in, in digging into His Word, how we'll fall away. And, and so many times as I talk with those men at the jail, they, 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 I ask them, so what is it? Where did you mess up? Where did you go wrong that you came back? And so many of them tell me, "Well, yes, when I I knew I shouldn't, but it was when I took that first hit again, I, I I knew I couldn't, but I thought somehow I could do it this time. I'd just do it one time." And and so I, I oftentimes start a dialogue with them. I say, "Well, I hear what you're saying, but but did you mess up when you took that first drink? Is that really the path?" Is that where you began to mess up? Oh. Well, maybe not. Well, where did it start? Well, yeah, I know. Yeah, I quit going to church every Sunday. It probably started there. Well, you, you think that's where the beginning was? Well, I said, well, your devotional life. Oh. Yeah. I just didn't have time anymore. I was, I was busy. You know, here at jail, it's easy. I mean, we, we just got 24-7 here, and we can, we can read the Word, and we can stay in the Word, and we can engage in the Word, and, and, and life is good. But he said, man, I, ha- I got out there, and I got the pressures of life. I got the and, and, I, and Yeah. What your prayer life like? Yeah. I, I prayed every night, at least before I went to bed. If, if we're not proactive in seeking God, our default setting is to fall away. And so many times, we fail to see the connection between not being in the Word and our failure. That's one aspect of it. Then the other aspect of it is, is for us as ministers... Of God, How do you and I promote the Word of God to those that we minister to, that we speak to? How do we promote God's Word to them? As they listen to us speak, do they hear us as salesmen of a fire insurance plant? with an expensive premium. Or maybe they see us as salesmen for parachutes. You know, you have to have this parachute because at the end of this flight, there's going to be a fall. Or do we promote this Word of God as God's best plan for man. Does it make a difference in how we present that gospel, that that good news? Why is it today that so many that we meet have a negative view of the Word of God? And I correlate that with when Jesus was here on the earth, and when the disciples was here, when the disciples were here on this earth, yes, there was much opposition, but there was also much acceptance and embracing of that good news. Is there something that we, as the church, the bride of Christ, are doing or not doing that is the cause? for this negative view of God's Word. Because I know that within all of us, there is that tendency to live for the moment. Yet, when the wait or the future option is shared in a proper perspective to those that are mature, are we not normally willing to forego the now in lieu of the benefit of waiting? I believe we as ministers have a responsibility to hold forth the word of God as the answer to man's greatest need. Yet the way we present it in meeting that need can be the difference between one accepting it or rejecting it. What's the view that you hold? How many, how many of us as ministers have the belief system that says, "I'm struggling because I want to do right, and yet it seems I always find a way to mess up. I want to overcome temptation, yet so often I fail." Maybe I have the mindset that you know it's a good good thing I'm a Christian, because otherwise I just don't know how I'd make it. Or maybe it's you know some days life is just so rough, tough that you just have to tie a knot in the rope and hang on. When someone asks you, "How are you doing?" What's your response? I like Mark Miller's response, our single elderly shop assistant. He always says, blessed. And I believe he actually believes that. And really, I wonder how many of you... would believe that if you were in his shoes. He lived the life of sin. He experienced all that the world had to offer, and when it was done, He had a toolbox of tools, the clothes on his back, and that was it. No wife, no job, no house. That's the price of sin. But today he recognizes how much more. He has because he found that light that comes through the Word of Christ. How many of us, as ministers, are teaching that we just have to endure until the end? I mean, that's Scripture. That's what Matthew twenty-four thirteen says: "He that shall endure until the end shall be saved." So we're just enduring until the end. Is that the perspective, is that the mindset that we're trying to sell to those that we're responsible for? You know, I believe that God designed this life to be more than just a life to endure. One of, one of the themes that I've heard come through the, 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 the messages this week Is that need for passion? Are you excited about the privilege of being able to hold forth that word of light, that word of life? We have the opportunity to be salesmen for the greatest light that ever was designed. We live in a world that this light is an essential necessity. We live in a world that everyone needs this light. How many products can you find that meet that criteria that everyone needs it? And, and this this is one of those products that has a warranty that's better than any others. And we have the privilege and the honor to be salesmen for that product. Philippians two, verse fifteen and sixteen is is a passage that the committee gave as as part of the background for this topic. This message and it says it this way verse Philippians two verse fifteen says that ye may be blameless and harmless the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So one of the aspects here is the aspect of us shining as lights. And so as we think about Christ's design for us as Christians, we are called to, what? Reflect his glory? So, in essence, we are moons. A moon has no light of itself. Is that correct? I'm not real good at science, but that's my understanding. I've never been there to totally verify it, but... I understand that the moon has no light, and yet the moon gives light. Right? We see that light at night. It's a reflector of the, of the sun, just as we as Christians are called to be reflectors of the glory of Christ's light. So for the people to receive a clear picture of the light that we reflect, we need to be sure that they have the opportunity to see that light. The only problem is, there are those things that get in the way. Those things that create an eclipse. We've been blessed, what, with four lunar eclipses in the last two years, since, what is it, April of 14? Total eclipses. The last one was. I'm not sure if the others were total And so is it possible that as we think about our responsibility to portray the glory of God, that my desire for security, some of these have already been mentioned this week here, my desire for security, my desire for money, my desire for pleasure, my desire to pursue the avenue of sports, um, are all some of those things that, that tend to get in the way of us reflecting the, the true glory the, the, the light that God has given to us maybe maybe get a little bit more personal here. Uh, maybe it's that that God of just the desire to be heard Somewhere I had a desire the need the need to be right. Maybe that hinders as I take the message of Christ that need to be right maybe that hinders the light that God is really, desiring to shine out there. Maybe it's maybe it's just that busyness that I, I know I should be out ministering, whether it's to the congregation or to the community or to the jail or wherever. But but I'm, I just don't have time. Or maybe it's because of, man, I got a big garden though. Or we got well we got this house and we need to keep it up. And, and we get an eclipse. How, how much of God's glory is being revealed? And I think we need to be careful that we don't allow the things of this world to crowd out the glory of the light of Christ. Where there is an eclipse, there is something that's coming between the sun and the moon. So if something comes between us and our light, and we are only reflectors, the light becomes obscured, and the darkness we are living in becomes even darker. And we're seeing that today. The light of the church is getting dimmer and dimmer. There are more and more things getting in the way. That's one aspect of ways that we deny the light of God. Is it possible that we as ministers of God, is it possible? Verse 15 there, it says that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine his light. Is it possible, brothers, that we can do the right thing? For the wrong reason. Just using a physical... Merle used a little bit of a different aspect last evening. We have a law, as we run down the road, that says when you come to one of those lights that has a green and a yellow and a red option, that when it gets to that red, you stop. And so I can stop at that red light which is the right thing to do. But is it possible that I could stop at that red light because I know that if I fail to stop at the red light, I may get a ticket. Okay, but I still stop. But is it possible that I'm stopping for the wrong reason? Rather than recognizing that if I don't stop at that red light, someone else has a green light and they may be coming through the intersection at the same time and there could be loss of life. You know, sometimes the guys at jail say that they're not going to do drugs when they get out. And they don't do drugs because they're on probation. Well, they know as long as they're on probation, guess what? They're going to take a random drug tests, and so they don't do drugs because they know at any moment they could be. I need you to do a drop now. Okay, they're doing the right thing. They're not doing drugs, which is good. But why? Because they know they're going to get busted. Wrong reason. We don't do drugs because of what it does to us. So is it possible that I teach our people to do the right thing, but for the wrong reasons? Fire insurance, parachute, rather than this is God's plan that's the best for man. Is it possible that as we share with our congregation that we can share God's Word in such a way that it hinders our people then from holding forth the Word of life? We looked at Philippians 2, verse 15 there. But verse 16 says, "...holding forth the Word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ." Paul had had. Paul's goal was to pass on his teaching that as he held forth the word of life, that those that he taught would be able to hold forth that same light, that same word of life to those that they came in contact with. So now, we've seen that, but I'd like to back up one verse to verse 14. And verse 14... It says, do all things without murmuring and disputing. Now, as we reflect on this issue, what are the possibilities that I could live blameless and harmless without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, without a proper view of why I do it? Is it possible to live blameless and harmless without rebuke? Without Christ. There are those of you that are saying, yeah, the order's too tall. And I believe the reality is, yes it is. But what's really sad is, I've worked for two atheists in my life, extensively enough that I know who they are. And yet I have personally seen these two men live a more blameless, harmless, without rebuke life. They have lived that better than many Christians that I know. And you say, well, you're talking about so-called. No. Mennonites included. Mennonites included. And in fact, the reason the one professed atheism was he said that the Mennonites that he's seen serving the God had no respect for their fellow man. Because they were Mennonites, they felt that they were not obligated to pay the bills they owed to him. He said, if that's Christianity, I want nothing to do with it. He said, I don't believe there is a God because I don't see it making a difference in the way that they live. But back to this proper view of why I do what I do. Without that proper view, is there a possibility that I may be guilty of violating this verse 14? You know, as I listen, I mean, I know I've already heard this verse being used. It says, Do all things without murmuring and disputing. And sometimes I hear this verse used in connection to the brotherhood. You know, we're supposed to get along with each other. We're not supposed to be murmuring and complaining and having those disputes. But as we look at this passage, verse 12 says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's talking about my salvation. It's talking about God working in me. It's not talking about the brotherhood. It's talking about me. And so... As I, as I think about that, it, it's a little bit like maybe the connotation of a 10- of a to 15-year-old son fussing with dad as, as dad has asked him to take his little brother and go do a certain job. Okay, now, now this 15-year-old, this elder son, he knows it's the right thing to do. He knows that. But it's not in his will to do it. Now, now my question is, how is he going to hold forth the command or the instruction, the direction that his father gave him to his younger brother, and his younger brother interpreted as life and not death? You follow what I'm saying? And and is it possible that, that that's a little bit the view that we have? You know, deep in our heart, we know this is the right thing to do, to follow God's Word, to see it that way. But, yeah, it's the right thing to do. uh, Yeah, we know we need to follow God. We know we we need to follow Christ. Have I embraced that relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm I'm not sure I can keep verse 16 there holding forth that word of life if I live in verse 14, if I haven't come to the point of embracing what God has called me to do. I think that's maybe where the Jews found themselves many times. If all I see, and so if my focus on living the Christian life is to live blameless and harmless as a son of God, I've missed the greatest gift to man. If all of life is about living blameless and harmless without rebuke. If that is what life is about, I've missed it. But, but, if living blameless and harmless is a result of the light and life that God has placed in me, what a great gift testimony that that brings forth out of my life it, and it radiates forth out of this earthen vessel that has these cracks that these imperfections in, in Christ's glory shines through and I was just yeah and so how do we embrace that and I just think it just just recently I was told this story of a lady this is, not, this is a true story, and this has happened just in the last couple of months. So this is not a, a story, story. This is a, this is a true story of, of a lady that was coming to Christ. Her children had been attending some Bible school, vacation Bible school, summer Bible school, street evangelism style Bible school, and through that their parents were becoming interested in the Word of God and, and they were connecting with the church and they were coming in and they were, they were buying the message that was being presented to them. And, and it, as they continued to grow, they became part of the ministry team. Or there was a desire for them to be a part of the ministry team. But there was a little conflict there because at this point they were still wearing the wedding band. And so they approached this lady about her wedding band and said that they felt that as they went to Scripture, they looked at Scripture, and, and as they were sharing the Scripture with her, they asked her what her thought was on that wedding band, looking at the Scriptures pertaining to it. And she seen where that could be a hindrance to someone else. And she said, if this is a hindrance, her and her husband both pulled it off and gave it as a sacrifice to God. That's a testimony that we can portray if we're not doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do, but because we have embraced the message, that good news of salvation, that word of light. When we have recognized that, that it is light and that it is light. When we have recognized the majesty of God. The other passage that they gave to me to also use as a, as a stepping stone here was in Second Timothy, though not very far from there, so you just want to turn back a little bit further to Second Timothy chapter four. In verse 1, it says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach a word, be innocent in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Verse 2 says, Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering doctrine. Paul is calling Timothy to live in a state of readiness. We are on a battleground, not on a playground. So as opportunities arise and present themselves, we need to reprove and we need to rebuke. And many times is it possible that we quit reading right there. It says, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke. That's not end of sentence. No, it says, with all long suffering and doctrine. And it says they won't want to listen. So how do we in those instances hold forth the word of light? I think maybe too many times, we, we do it this way. And, I mean, he's got, look at all that stuff on him. And we get it right in their eyes, you know, and, and we exposed we it. But how many times is that the way that we use the word of light? We just, we just really beam it down on them. And is that what he's talking about as he's talking about his word being light? But I think too many times we as Mennonites, that's a little bit the way we come across I know that's something that God has had to work on me. We want to impress upon people their sinfulness. We want it it exposed. We put it to the light. And so we hammer them. We show them their sinfulness. We put that spotlight right on there. And you know that you can't be a drunkard and get to heaven. Is that the way we use God's Word? It says His Word is light. That passage we read early on. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You know, how many times is it after we have done, after we have got done using the word of light, God's word, and we walk away from those people that all they can see is yellow circles from being blinded, by that light. How are they going to see a walk in that condition? And yet, is it possible that we think that we use God's Word right? You know? We think we've applied Psalm 19, verse 8, where it says, "...the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes." You know, as we hold forth that word of light, are we looking to win the debate? Or are we looking to lead this person to the Lord? And that could be the guy on the street, or it could be the guy in the pew. Second Timothy 2, verse 24, it says it this way, The servant of the Lord must not strive. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. Psalm 119, verse 105 says it this way, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my unto my path. Do we present God's word in such a way that it illuminates the surrounding? Does it illuminate their heart to where they can be able to with the light that's been given that they can see their sinfulness? Proverbs 6, verse 20 to 24 says it this way, My son, keep thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck when thou goest It will lead you. When you sleep, it will keep you. And when you awake, it will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp. And the law is light. And reproofs of instruction are the way of life. To keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. As we see, as we think about God's Word, is it big enough to shed light on man's problems? All of man's problems. You know, sometimes we we may have, I don't know what we think. I mean, is this this what we look at as, as we think of God's light, His Word, being light? Or maybe it's this... I'm not even sure if you can see this one's on. Maybe that's God's light. You know, I mean, it barely penetrates the darkness. What's our view of God's light? Is it enough there to, to shine on the path that God wants me to walk on? The path that He wants those that He has entrusted us to teach. To walk on. You know, as we think of that word of light, who does the shining? You know, is it possible that God needs our help in showing people their sinfulness? Who does the convicting? If it truly is the Holy Spirit that reveals my sinfulness, and it truly is the Holy Spirit that convicts, why is it so many times that I insist on helping God in these areas, to do his responsibility. So, how did Jesus do this? As he as he was here on this earth, how did he shine forth the light that caused men to see their sinfulness? You know, as he as he came to this woman, well, actually, um, I was going to say as he came to this woman caught in adultery, but I like to think about the men. That brought this woman. How did He convict them of their sin? Did He take this old spotlight and shine it straight in their eyes? Was that what He did? Is that the the picture that we get? Or did He... Just quietly bring this little light over here. And they see some darkness... They seen something being revealed, without a spoken word. Maybe it was a written word. We don't know. He was writing something in the sand, but he used a little light to illuminate their darkness. That's the way, and we know that's what he did with the woman. It wasn't the condemnation. It wasn't that in-your-face spotlight. Jesus was that light. And so as he was that light, they had two options. One is they could flee so their sin could remain in the darkness. Or they also had the option to allow the light of Christ to drive that darkness from them. But the men walked away. But the woman allowed the light of Christ to drive her darkness away, I believe as we read that. So as we think about that light driving that darkness away... I was going to ask Mike to come up. Um, Tim, I need you to come up. You're a pretty pretty tough guy, aren't you? Mm -hmm. There is something in this box I do not want to have get out. So, um, it is, is completely full when I... Tape that lid. So if you could, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open it, but can you keep it from coming out? This morning, when I, when I filled it, it was, it was full of darkness. <laughs> it was so dark, I couldn't even see where to tape it. I had to feel. It, it was full of darkness. And you know, thank you, Tim. <laughs> you know, when, when the light of Christ comes, Darkness has to flee. It has to flee. And, 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 then I, and then I, as I think about that, Romans 13, verse 12 says it this way, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Brothers and sisters... When we take this message with us, we have the message of light. We don't have to bring out the spotlight and put it in someone's face. We can just bring this Word and that light. It causes darkness to have to flee. It can't stay in the presence of light. Just as it, It's amazing, wasn't it? It was full of darkness when I put it in there. It was all that was there. It was just darkness. And now it's totally gone because it's been exposed to the light. And that's the way it is. We don't have to help God. We're His messengers. We're His message bearers. But it's God that does the convicting. It's God that does the revealing. It's His Holy Spirit that changes me, not you. You can preach to me all you want. And you're not going to change me. But when the Lord starts speaking to me through the message you bring, it starts changing me. John 1 verse 4 says, In him was life, and the life was the life light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness didn't overcome it. The darkness comprehended it not. So as we think about holding forth the word of God, the word of light, does it look like this? Does it look like this? Does it look like this? Does it look like that? You know, as we think about the Word of God being a light, does it put off a sweet smell as we present that message that God has given to us to bear for Him? What does your me- that that Word of Light that you're taking forth? What does it look like? When you're done. When you leave. So as we think of effective communication with people living in their sinfulness, what does it look like? The woman at the well. Jesus knew her sinfulness. He knew the wretchedness of her heart. And Jesus told her, you are worshiping something. Remember those, those things that got in the way of, of, of keeping us from sharing the glory? He, he said you're worshiping something and yet you don't even know what you're worshiping. But you know what? The Father is seeking some that are willing to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and he's welcoming you to do that. Wait a minute. This is, a, this is a woman that's been married for how many times and living with this guy now, and they're, they're just hitched up, they're just shacking. And, and, and Jesus is offering her an opportunity to worship the Father. Hello. Is that the way I take the message? I'm afraid there's too many times when I have failed. I'll be honest. And I don't know where y'all are at. Just, Just show my own sinful heart, you know. It's a whole lot easier to be this. For this, when I go to jail. But it's a whole lot easier to be this when I'm dealing with the church. You know better. You know you can't do those things. You know that's wrong. You know that's sin. Who's trying to do the convicting? God's Word is light, it does reveal our sinfulness. What did the the Jews see as Jesus was there at the temple in Luke 4? And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to what? To anoint, to preach, to heal, to deliver, to give sight, to set at liberty. And it says that he closed the book and sat down and all those that were there wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. What 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 was his message? What was he sharing? What were those gracious words that were going on? Is my communication gracious? Do I offer hope or do I offer condemnation? In the book, The Pursuit of Holiness, it gives a story of Henry Trumbull was personally he was a, a, an evangelist and it says that one day he found himself sitting in a train on a train in a train with a drunkard. And as they were sitting there and going down the road, this alcoholic would pop the top and take a swig and offer it to Mr. Trumbull. And he declined and a few miles down, they'd, he'd take another swig, pop I mean, he'd pop it, take a swig and offer it again. And he declined. And finally this drunkard said to Mr. Trumbull, You must think I'm a pretty rough fellow. And Mr. Trumbull's reply was, No, I think you're a very generous-hearted fellow. And it opened a way to begin a conversation to speak to him of his need. Of release from his bondage to alcohol. So, as we think about our communicating this word of light, we need to avoid that critical spirit. How do I find myself? Sharing? How do I find myself sharing with someone that, by all appearance, is not a child of God? Have I judged him before I have even allowed him to speak? What about the one whose view of Christianity and its application is slightly different from my view and application? Have I spoken condemnation or grace? Have I spoken condemnation before I've even had the opportunity to hold forth the light? It's interesting, as Jesus was preaching there, as he began his earthly ministry, as he sits down on the mount and begins his message, the first thing that he said, Blessed. Blessed are the. And then he moved on to, Ye have heard that it hath been said. How is the message, this word of light, this word of life that we're holding forth, how are we presenting it? Matthew 4. Just prior to that, it says the people sat in great sat in darkness and saw a great light. And in Matthew five, there he goes on in the Sermon on the Mount there, he says, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill.
1: Let your light so
0: shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Reminded of a story. Uh, 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 not a story, sorry. I was reminded of of something I witnessed there in in Washington. I was on the way to jail there, and, and I'm coming up at one of them red lights, and I'm sitting there at the red light, and across the corner are two women, one a little bit older and a younger one. And the older one had her hand a little bit, On the younger one. And she was instructing this younger one how to use a white stick with a red tip. This older woman was bringing light to this younger woman's darkness. You know, me just looking at that younger lady, she looked normal. Normal. I just looking at her, I could not tell that she was blind. I didn't know that she had a need, but this older lady did. How did she know it? Somehow she had come in contact with her. She had she had she had contact with her and had spent time with her and this older lady was caring enough about her to teach her, to help her to find freedom in her dark state. That's just physical darkness. But what about the spiritual darkness now? When those that are around us are blind, do we help them to be able to see? Another aspect, I think that the, the, the committee was kind of wanting to, as we think about sharing or holding forth the word of light, how do we do that today? And, and and I know I don't have this down pat. I, I, I know I don't. I, I'm not the best evangeliz- evangelist evangelist. Um, I don't know what the best way is to share, but I know one of the one of the things that works is if we just use today's events. That's what Jesus did. He just the woman at the well. He used the well, he used the water. He he just did that over and over again. He used the current events or the current situation to, to be able to speak truth into those situations. And so as we think about sharing the word of life, there's many opportunities for us to hold forth that word in our marketplace, our job, our travels. If we're not concerned about making converts, if we're more concerned about just holding forth the light. And letting the light do its work. I'd like to... Let's turn to Deuteronomy. So use today's events to bridge a gap for communication to begin. They're just... um, uh, I can't get his name right now. Um, Can't get his name. but, But as we think about just communicating, holding forth the word of light. There are just many ways, as this black brother used to say, there are just many ways to sneak a little Jesus into the conversation. And so let's be faithful in holding forth that light. We don't have to hammer him with the spotlight. God will do that. He'll take that seat. Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. And it shall come to pass, that thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God. You know, 1 John... 5 verse 3 says it this way, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. Do I see God's word as light? Do I see it as life? Or do I see it as grievous? Again, going back, you know, I can do the right thing for the wrong reason. I can do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. But really miss that God in His love gave us His commandments to keep us. To protect us. To prosper us. So that his blessings may rest upon us. Deuteronomy 30, verse 11 to 14 says it this way. For this commandment which I commanded this day is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It's not in heaven that thou shouldest say, who shall go up? for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it neither is it beyond the sea that thou shouldst say who shall go over to see for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it but the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it so God said, I have made known my way. I have given you the word of life. I've given you light so that you can see. I've, I've revealed it. It's not in darkness anymore. It's not some pie in the sky. It's not in some distant, unobtainable place. This commandment, this word of God, is not only here, but it's also written in my very own DNA. His nature is also written down here. Yes, my default setting is to sin. But he has also written in, his, in my DNA the truth. My spirit's not to do the truth. My spirit's to reject that in the flesh, that that flesh is. But he's, he's written his law, his commands in, in who we are, the very essence. Even as i talk talked to the guys at jail that don't know about God, they still know that there's a right and a wrong they still have the essence of looking over their shoulder when they know that they've done wrong. It's still there. Deuteronomy 30, verse 15 and 18. See, I have set before thee this day life and good, death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in, all his, to walk in his ways, to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord Thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. God has set his word right among us. And because we have his word held forth to us, we have before us... Actually, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. We have the ability to choose life. God has set it forth. He also calls us as ministers to hold it forth. Make it known to man that they may be able to choose life and not death as we have in the past. What does Ephesians 2 say? We, for we have been quickened, we have been made alive, we, we who were in darkness. So I have the ability in life to choose life in each situation, circumstance, and choice. So as we think about holding forth the word of light, are we doing it? Because it's the right thing to do. Are we doing it because it's the best of two options? Or is it possible that we have experienced First Peter 2, verse 3, which says, If so be it, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Second Corinthians 2, verse 14, in closing. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God. In the sight of God, speak we in Christ. As we go forth and minister, as we go forth and hold forth the word of life, is there a sweet aroma that is emanating from our very presence? as we leave. Lord bless you